Amen. Great worship tonight. With the lights and without the lights. It was great. It was great. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Hard to believe. 18 weeks ago we started our study of 1 Corinthians. Here we are at the end. 1 Corinthians 16. While you're turning there and finding your place, again, just, just an encouragement if you're here this Sunday, uh, we got a special Sunday for you. Our kids are going to be up front this Sunday. They got a special surprise for all of us this Sunday. Of course, Nicole's got some great worship planned for Sunday. And then we finish up the book of Philippians Sunday looking at the things, the, the greatest things that Paul learned as a Christian. I mean, it, it just really has impacted my life. I think it will yours as well. What a great way to finish up Philippians. And then Christmas Eve, if you're in town, if you're here with us, I know many of you are going to be traveling and, and away, but for those of you that are here, 7 o'clock, Saturday night, December the 24th, some great music, uh, and God has really laid a specific message on my heart uh, for Christmas Eve. Uh, I think it's going to be a great night. Hope you can be here to help us celebrate uh, the Lord's birth on, on Christmas Eve. So tonight, we finish up the book of 1 Corinthians. And Corinthians has been a pretty difficult book. Uh, not necessarily the most positive book, because Paul had to deal with a lot of stuff that was going on in the Corinthian church. It was needed, and yet it, it, it wasn't easy. But Paul wants to leave them on a positive note. And so in chapter 16, I believe he lays out for the Corinthians and really for every local church since sort of a, a, a blueprint, if you will, for every local church to aspire to, to rise to. And he was hoping that the Corinthians would do this as well. That even though they've been through some rough times as a church, that they would look at chapter 16 as a, as a way to sort of send off and, and as, as a something to, this is, this is what we as a church want to become. This is what we want to be like. And so I've entitled, if there's a title to this tonight, it would be that Paul is laying down in 1 Corinthians 16, the characteristics of a vibrant church. What are the characteristics of a vibrant church? local church. As I was studying this and preparing for tonight, one of the encouraging things was this. I really believe that the Oasis Church has many of these qualities. Now, that's not to say that we can't improve on many of these areas, but it was very encouraging to me as the pastor of this church to see that as I began to look at what Paul looks at the characteristics of a vibrant church were and where we are right now, that, okay, we're, we're, we're modeling many of these as well. We've just got to keep on doing what, what we're doing and, and, and even expand some areas as well. So I hope this will be an encouragement to you. Um, I think it's just a great way to end 1 Corinthians. So, with that said, let's dive in. We've got 13 of them to get through tonight, okay? We won't spend too much time on, on any one of them. The first one is generosity. A vibrant church is a generous church. 
Notice Paul starts out with regard to the collection for the saints, and he was talking about the poor saints in Jerusalem, the Jews who had accepted Jesus as their Messiah, and because these Jews accepted Jesus as their Messiah, they were being ostracized by many people, and therefore they were losing business, they were losing profit, they were losing finances, they, they, it was costing them greatly in order to follow Jesus. And so Paul wanted to take up a collection. He sort of was the one that initiated asking other churches to, let's take up a collection for our Jewish brothers in Jerusalem. I think there's several things. First of all, it was the right thing to do. Second, I think Paul looked at this as this was going to be a great way to unify the church. The Gentiles and the Jews coming together, working together, helping each other out. And so Paul said, with regard to the collection for the saints, please follow the directions that I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of the week, Sunday, each of you should set aside some income and save it to the extent that God has blessed you so that a collection will not have to be made when I come. Then when I arrive, I will send those you approve with letters of explanation to carry the gift, your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will go with me. Now there's much more in this passage besides generosity. In fact, Paul really lays down for any local church or any Christian some principles on giving and all of that. We're not going to get into that tonight. There's, there's principles on financial integrity and how to manage money and all of that. But tonight I just want to concentrate on generosity. A vibrant church is a generous church. And yet Paul gives us a very important principle about being generous, whether you're talking about individually, as a family, or as a church. And that is this. You and I have to be intentional about being generous. We have to plan to be generous. Why do I say that? Look at the words in verse 2. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside... Those words in the original language mean to keep in reserve, literally a reservoir. In fact, the Greek word that's used here is where we get our English word thesaurus from, which means like a, a, a reservoir of words, a storehouse of words, a place where you can go and find all kinds of words. He's saying to every Christian and to a local church that if we're going to be generous, we have to plan on being generous. We have to, with what, however God has prospered us, we have to set aside a certain amount of income in order that when God lays on our heart needs and things that He wants us to be a part of, that we've got something to do it with. That instead of going, oh, I really would like to give to that, or, or give to a church, or give to a ministry, or give to a cause, but I got nothing. Paul said, no, set it aside. Always as a Christian, we should be keeping some in reserve, a reservoir. Now, Paul does go on to make a point. I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. But Paul says, too, another principle here is this is all proportional to God's provision. As God has blessed you to the extent. That's why you just got to hear me say as a pastor of this church, I'm not a person that believes that Christians have to give 10%. And there's a lot of Christians that argue about that and debate that, but I'm not. I don't think the New Testament principle is the tide. I don't think it's 10%. I think that there's times and seasons in our life as Christians where we can give more than 10% of our income. I think there are times in our, in, in our Christian life, for one reason or another, where we can't. And we shouldn't feel guilty about it. 
Because one of the other principles here that Paul's saying when he says, I don't want a collection to be taken up when I come. I want it to be done before I get there. Why does Paul say that? Because he doesn't want their generosity to be prompted by human pressure. He wants it to be prompted by the Spirit of God. He doesn't want Paul to come on the scene and and apply any kind of pressure or manipulation to this collection. He wants it to be done before he gets there because he wants the Spirit to drive it. Folks, that's why when especially new people come to the Oasis, I usually have to explain why we do giving the way we do at this church. Why we just have a box And why I even very rarely mention it on Sunday, that we've got a box back, which I need to do it really more than I do because I forget that there's new people coming and then they come up to me and go, I'd like to give an offering, but I don't know what to do with it. Um, But we do that even to the point of not passing plates because I learned growing up in church that sometimes even passing a plate puts people on the spot, that there are people who will give just because it's like, well, as the plate goes down, I don't want to be the only one in my row that doesn't give something. I don't want it to be, it shouldn't be that way. Whatever we give to our church or to whatever God's laid on our heart, it's got to be prompted by the Spirit, not by a human being. And yet, God wants us to be generous. And this church is filled with generous people, not just in in financial ways. That's not just the only way we measure generosity, by being willing to share. But in this context, he's certainly talking about generous in their giving. And this is the whole reason why as we come to 2012, and you're going to be hearing more about this as we get through the holidays and get to the new year, why we're even able at such a young age as a church to start talking about building funds and future and things like that because of your generosity. And so generosity, a characteristic of a vibrant church. Secondly, the second characteristic, flexibility. Can I just say we saw that tonight? Nicole had to be flexible up here tonight. But that's just one of the characteristics of a vibrant church. We all have to be flexible. Notice one of the things that impressed me about Paul when he was talking about his life and how he lives his life was how flexible he was in making plans. Notice what he says beginning in verse 5. But I will come to you after I have gone through Macedonia, for I will be going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you can send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now in passing, since I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord allows, if he permits, if he gives permission. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a door of great opportunity stands wide open for me, but there are many opponents. Now, if Timothy comes, if Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear among you, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I am too, So that let no one treat him with contempt, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. You notice in that passage that it's not that Paul doesn't make plans, but Paul doesn't make plans so tightly that the Holy Spirit cannot continually, you know, lead him in this direction or that. He keeps his plans open to a point to allow the Lord to have final word. He lives his life with purpose and with a plan 
but also with flexibility. And churches, we all need to be flexible. If we are growing in the Lord, then we are going to be changing. And we're going to be seeing things differently. And instead of saying, we're going to set something up and and we're never going to change it. I mean, there's certain doctrines, obviously, that we need to do that with. But practices and all of this, we've got to be flexible. You all, because you've been part of a church like this, a very young church, a mobile church, a church that we don't have our own place yet, you know better than a lot of people who've only been part of an established church how flexible God calls us to be. And, and actually, when we do at some point, if the Lord allows us to get our own place, there's going to be something lost there in, in some ways of the flexibility that God wants to build into our lives because He always wants us to be flexible, just like Paul. Just like Paul. All of us need to be flexible. Third, the next characteristic of a vibrant church, personal freedom. <coughs> Excuse me. Personal freedom. In other words, to where people in the church are not playing the Holy Spirit in other people's lives, but letting God be the one that defines their life and ultimately leads them. We can suggest, we can encourage, we can do all this, but we need to let people have personal freedom. And again, I wanted to tie this back to even the whole thing of giving. That's why Paul wanted the collection to be taken before he got there because he did not want any kind of human pressure to be put on people as far as what they gave or all of that. It was to be totally spirit-driven. The freedom to give. See, the freedom to give. Well, notice in verse 12, the personal freedom that Paul and God, I think, applauded Paul with in allowing Apollos to make his own decision here. Notice verse 12. With regard to our brother Apollos, I strongly encouraged him to visit you. Now, we all know Paul, right? One of the great Christians who ever lived. Let me ask you, if Paul was alive today and came into your life and said, I want to strongly encourage you to do that. Most of us would be like, well, if Paul's strongly encouraging me to do that, I, I better do it, right? But also notice that even though the Bible says Paul strongly encouraged, it doesn't say that Paul twisted his arm. It doesn't say that Paul leveraged the fact that I'm the great apostle Paul and you better listen to me, right? Because I'm right and you're, you know, you're not type of thing. No, it wasn't that. He strongly encouraged Apollos, but notice as he goes on to say, to visit you, with the other brothers, but it was simply not his intention to come now. That phrase in the original language means that from Apollos' point of view, it was his personal determination that this was not God's will. And therefore, Paul goes on to say, he will come when he has the opportunity. In other words, what I'm trying to say here is, Apollos had the freedom to say no. Personal freedom to say no. In a vibrant church, every believer in that church should have the personal freedom to say no. And not feel bad about saying no. Is it raining outside? Oh my. Okay. I'm like, what is that noise? Um, sometimes Christians, if somebody asks them to do something, it's like, well, I can't tell them no. 
Yeah, you can. Yeah, we can. Because ultimately, it's, does God want me to do this? I mean, and it may be a good thing. But one of the things God taught me over the years was just because I know of a need doesn't mean that God's holding me personally responsible to meet that need. There's so many needs out there. All of us could run ourselves ragged every day of the year meeting needs, just the ones we knew. But that doesn't necessarily mean because we know of it that that's what God wants me to be involved with. Just like Paul may have thought Apollos should be there. But Apollos said, you know, I prayed about this and my determination is God doesn't want me to do it. So I've got the freedom to even tell Paul, no, Paul, I don't think that's what God wants me to do. I'm going to hang here until God leads me to do that. So important. Personal freedom. Next, the fourth characteristic, vigilance. Notice in verse 13, Paul uses five, gives the Corinthians five things here that I think, again, are characteristics of a vibrant church. The first is stay alert. The word means to wake up and, and, and watch carefully. He's talking about spiritual vigilance, about always being on guard to, to false doctrine, to false teaching, to even what's going on in the life of the church and, and in our own lives, and just being watchful. Being careful, being attentive, being vigilant. A vibrant church is a vigilant church. Next, stand firm in the faith. A vibrant church is a church that perseveres. Because the words stand firm mean to persevere and not lose ground. In other words, the picture is, say we've come this far as a church. We've come up to this point. So Paul's saying to the church at Corinth and to us, however far you've come as a church, hold your ground there. Don't go backwards. If anything, keep going forwards. Persevere. Don't let the enemy knock you back. Perseverance is a very important characteristic of, of an individual Christian and also of a church. We need perseverance. We need endurance. This is the long haul. This is not a sprint. The next characteristic, bravery or courage. Show courage. Be brave is literally what it means in the original language. It takes courage to serve the Lord. It takes courage to be a local church that is infused with the life of God in it. It takes courage to be obedient to God. We need courage. In Joshua chapter 1, when the Israelites were getting ready to go in and take the, the promised land, the thing that God wanted the leadership and the people of Israel to know is be strong and courageous. Which leads me to my next point. The next characteristic of a vibrant church, be strong. Literally, grow strong, increase in strength, or be strengthened. The important principle here is that Paul's not saying that somehow we have this supernatural strength within us, and we need to somehow, you know, drum it up inside of us. No, but we're connected to a God who's almighty. And so the idea is, I need to learn as a Christian and as a church to tap into the one who has all strength. And like Isaiah 40 says, 
that when I lose my strength, I always know the one who has all strength is there. And he's giving me his strength. In a sense, what Paul is reminding us of is I've got to have strength from an outside source. I've got very limited, little strength inside of me. It will go very quickly. But I am connected to an unlimited source of strength that I need to continually tap into and increase and grow strong. And we've talked about that. That's why spiritual growth is so important. Because God wants us to grow strong, to be able to meet the challenges of the day. And local churches that are vibrant are churches that are strong. Be strong in the Lord, Paul says, and in the power of His might. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Then... Loving. Everything, verse 14, that you do should be done in love. A vibrant church, obviously, is a loving church. And this is obviously the Greek word agape, which means a supernatural, selfless, sacrificial love. A love that is produced in the heart of a yielded believer by the Holy Spirit. It is one of the gifts of the Spirit. Love. Real love. Love, genuine love. Not a love that can be manufactured by human beings, but a love that is given to us through God. So those are the first eight characteristics. We only got five more left. The next one is devotion to ministry. Notice what he says in verse 15. Now, brothers and sisters, you know about the household of Stephanus. That as the first converts of Achaia, they devoted themselves to ministry, to help meet needs, to serving the Lord. A vibrant church is a church that's filled with servants, a, a, a church that's filled with those who are devoted to ministry, to help, to serve. And I love the word devoted. It, it literally means in original language to place myself or station myself somewhere. We would maybe even say to plant myself somewhere. So the picture here is that these folks that Paul's talking about, you want to know where they were? They were always planting themselves somewhere doing ministry. That's what they were doing. That's what they were always up to continually. And notice, they were so devoted that Paul goes on to say that at the end of verse 16, to cooperate in the work and labors hard. Those words speak about why you have to be devoted to ministry. Because it's hard work. The word work there is hard work. The word in my translation, labors hard, literally in the Greek means toil to the point of weariness and exhaustion. When was the last time as Christians we served at such a level that we literally exhausted ourselves physically because we were so devoted to doing something for God, for someone else in some kind of service. So, characteristic of a vibrant church, devoted to ministry. But the next one, and this goes along with service, cooperation. Cooperation, because notice what Paul says in verse 16. Also submit to people like this. And to everyone who cooperates in the work and labors hard. The word cooperates means to put forth power together. To come together 
and be stronger together than we could ever be individually and to cooperate with each other, to learn to work together rather than just alone. Cooperation is a huge thing. We talked Sunday about let everyone see your gentleness, your accommodating spirit, your reasonableness. We all need to grow in being reasonable and even in checking our expectations of others and in learning to really work together and cooperate together. I'm just going to pick out one aspect of our ministry, but this certainly happens in many different areas. But it's only because I just, it, I see it every Sunday I walk into church. Every Sunday, Bob and his team have gotten there when the chickens have got up. And they're there putting all that sound equipment there. And then Nicole and whoever is with her that Sunday, and they're all there you know, early, 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 hours before, you know, the rest of us get there on Sunday. And they're having to cooperate every Sunday because it's not like a lot of churches that are established and have a place where Bob or whoever's running sound can set all this up, can set the levels and leave them for the next Sunday. Every Sunday, it's got to be different. And they've all got to cooperate with each other. And Nicole's team's got to cooperate with Bob's team. And they've got to coordinate this thing It's just amazing to see every Sunday. And from others in our church who've worked in other churches in the worship ministry, they'll even come to me and go, you know what, you got a special group of people here doing this because they not only do it, they do it with such a good attitude every week. And they do it without really, you know, driving each other crazy every week like I see in other churches. And then I'll just nod my head and go, yeah, I know we've got special people here doing this. I realize that. Cooperation. Very, very important. And then, notice the next one. The next one is fellowship. Verse 17. I was glad about the arrival of these three men. I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names. Because they have supplied the fellowship with you that I lacked. For they refreshed my spirit and yours, so then recognize people like this. Paul is saying a vibrant church is a warmly relational church. There is something about the joy of companionship, of doing this together and being together. And when we're together, again, instead of getting on each other's nerves, as Paul says in verse 18, no, we refresh each other. I thank you all for the refreshment that you are to me. I thank you all and and God bless you for the refreshment that you are to each other. Let me point out too what this word means. The word refreshment here in verse 18 means to give rest, providing recovery in order to collect strength. In other words, Paul is saying, these guys came into my life And allowed me to take a little bit of a rest so that I could recover from the intense ministry that I was doing in order to collect my strength to go back in and keep ministering at a high level. All of us need to give each other a break. All of us need refreshed. We cannot keep going at the level we're going. Every once in a while, we need to have somebody else come in 
and spell us and give us a break in order that we can recover, collect our strength, and go back into the battle. And Paul said, that's what these guys did for me and for others. They refreshed. And it all comes out of the fact of their fellowship. It wasn't this impersonal, you know, business-like thing. In fact, people have even said this when they come to the Oasis. Is one of the first things they say to me as a pastor is, I just notice how your people just seem to get along and care about each other and, and they like each other and they, they're, you know, there's this, and they can sense that very early on when they first visit the Oasis. Folks, don't ever, we, we should never take that for granted. That, that's something that I think is a characteristic of a vibrant church, but I think it's something that we're allowing God to do in us and in our church. It's not something that we can do ourselves, but I thank God for it. Finally, a couple more. Verse 19, a vibrant church is a church of hospitality. Open hearts, open homes. The churches in the province of Asia, verse 19, send greetings to you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord with the church that meets in their house. All the brothers and sisters send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Hospitality. And hospitality obviously means more than just opening up our homes. It does mean opening up our hearts and homes to anyone and everyone around us. It's sort of where we get the, uh, the, the term there, greet you warmly in the Lord. And we, again, I just want to commend you all. We have a, a church that's filled with people who either have the spiritual gift of hospitality or hospitality is something that's just a very high priority with them. That's why we have, you know, the, the snacks and the drinks on Tuesday and on Sunday. That's why I hear many of you opening up your homes for Bible studies and for get-togethers and just having people over and whatnot. So important. A vibrant church is going to be a church where people open up their hearts and homes to one another. Finally, a vibrant church is a church that is dependent upon God. Verse 23, one of the last verses, Paul talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus being with you. And again, we define grace, I define grace as God's supernatural influence and enablement. So in other words, grace reminds us that we're not trying to do this ourselves. That we are depending upon God to do it through us. That's what God's grace is. That's why Paul could say earlier on to the Corinthians, I am what I am because of the grace of God. It is God who works through me. I'm not doing this, Paul said, but God, I'm allowing him to do it through me. And that's dependence on God rather than on ourselves. And so we see these characteristics in 1 Corinthians 16. Let me just go back. Real quickly, of course, he ends by saying, my love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. And we know that, again, this was a tough letter. This was a tough church. Unlike the church at Philippi that we're studying on Sunday, this was not a church that Paul was necessarily close to. This was not a church that, 
that uh, he had a great connection with, but he grieved over this church and it pained him to see the things that were happening in this church. And so he wants to end this great letter to the Corinthians by giving them something again to aspire to, to strive for. He shares with them, I think, characteristics of a vibrant church, of a vibrant Christian, and says, guys, as I end this letter, let's all strive to be this. So, what are the characteristics of a vibrant church? Let's see if I can remember all these because I didn't write them down. Generosity. A vibrant church is generous. A vibrant church is flexible. A vibrant church has personal freedom. A vibrant church is vigilant. A A vibrant church perseveres and endures. A vibrant church is strong, or excuse me, brave and courageous. A vibrant church is strong. A vibrant church is loving. A vibrant church is devoted to ministry. A vibrant church is cooperative with each other. A vibrant church has fellowship. It is warmly relational. A vibrant church has hospitality, open hearts, open homes. And a vibrant church depends upon God. Folks, I've enjoyed studying 1 Corinthians with you. Look forward to the new year where we will dive into the life of David in 1 Samuel. Can't wait. If I'll say this, and then I'll close in prayer. Maybe you've studied the life of David before. I'm telling you, I've studied the life of David before, but God is showing me things in His Word about David that I've, I'm learning so much, and I can't wait to share it with you. So I guarantee you, whether you've never studied First and Second Samuel, or whether you've studied the life of David a lot, I think there'll be something new and exciting for you as we get into the first of the year. And do any of us really want to close and go outside? I don't think so. Come on, Nicole, let's sing a couple songs or something, you know. There we go. Lois will auction off her umbrella. There we go. Well, folks, it's been a great year. Uh, I know we've got a couple more services on this Sunday and then Christmas Eve, but I just want to say it's been a great year for me personally, and I think it's been a great year for our church. I can't wait to see how we finish out this year and start a new year. I'm excited for it, and I just want to thank you for hanging in there with me, many of you, all 18 weeks as we uh, went through the book of 1 Corinthians. I enjoyed it. I got a lot lot out of it. I hope you did as well. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for moving the Apostle Paul and inspiring him to write this letter to the Corinthians and then wanting it included in the sacred pages of Scripture. And God, as we finished out tonight, looking at these characteristics of a vibrant church, God, in, in a sense, we're, we're so thankful that, Lord, we can be part of a church like this that, that have many of these characteristics already. But Lord, we also know that we're far from what we could be and should be. And so God, we, we just pray that you will continue to keep us on your path and that we will continue to run after you. And Lord, even if we are exhibiting many of these characteristics already, God, we pray that they would continue to grow and expand uh, all around. Because we know, Lord, that that not all who come to the Oasis even, you know, have, in a sense, bought in and truly become connected and a part of our ministry, but we would love to see them come. 
and be a greater part of our ministry. And Lord, we know that you've got other people that you want to enfold into our ministry as well. So God, help those of us who are already here. Help us, Lord, to truly be committed to what you've called us to. And to know, Lord, that being part of a local church means that I can positively impact other people around me. And help all of us, Lord, to keep positively impacting and refreshing and encouraging others around us. And then, Lord, as new people come, help us, Lord, to continue to open up our arms and to to help them become a part of our church family as well. Help them find their niche. Help them find where they fit in so that, Lord, they can thrive in their walk with you as well. Thank you, God, for all your blessings, for all the wonderful things you've done this past year. And as we end this year of 2011, God, we just want to praise you for all of it. And God, we look forward to 2012 with the anticipation and excitement that if Jesus doesn't come in 2012, Lord, help us to make this a great year for you. Help us as a church and as individuals to glorify you like we never have before. Help us to continue to grow and to be Jesus to all around us, we pray in his precious name. Amen. Guys, God bless you. Have a great evening. Keep safe on your way home out there.